Welcome, fraud fighters, to another episode of Trust and Safety in Numbers, presented by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Trust and Safety in Numbers. I'm your host, Jeff Sakasagawa, Trust and Safety Architect at SIFT. I have more than 10 years of experience in risk management and compliance at companies like Google, Facebook, and Square. Joining me today is the CEO of SIFT, Jason Tan. And we'll be talking about recent fraud trends, SIFT's role in helping to combat these, and a CEO's vision for how both of these things may look in our shared future. But before we get started there, I'm going to toss it over to Jason so he can introduce himself. Um, thanks for being on the show, Jason. Yeah. Hey, folks. I'm Jason. Thanks for making time and listening. Hopefully, uh, we can have a great discussion about the future of digital trust and safety and, and the current state of the world. Now, I take it for granted because you're my boss's boss, but um, you had a reason for starting SIFT. Could you talk a little bit about like the company creation, what you were thinking, and how we kind of arrived where we're at? Yeah, you know, back uh, in 2011, when we were starting SIFT, we saw an industry that had really stagnated in terms of innovation, and it was really stuck in the legacy world of rules-based systems that we're highly reactive and hard to scale and, and maintain, and, and we're not that efficient. And uh, you know, from our own experience working at companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, et cetera, seeing how those businesses solved uh, risk management, trust and safety, anti-fraud themselves with large-scale real-time real machine learning, that was the insight that we had that maybe there's an opportunity to democratize that kind of technology for the masses and make it accessible to businesses that uh, don't have you know, thousands of engineers like those big technology giants do. And so even though we didn't really have as a, a hardcore back background in this specific industry, I think we, you know, in some ways were able to leverage our naivety to uh, approach the problem with a different solution and a different go to market. And, and here we are nine years later. That's great. Yeah, I, I love the access issue because I feel like when I, when I talk with um, companies or, or just people in the industry, a lot of them are lucky to have, you know, three, four, five people like just to address the problem, let alone um, any engineering talent to actually build a tool on top of that. So that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, for the audience, if you thought this was a podcast that would not touch COVID-19 or the pandemic, uh, I'm going to let you down a little bit, um, but Jason, I think, you know, as a company, we still see um, effects of the pandemic and how it's relating to the market and, you know, fraud fighting in general. Um, what are you seeing right now that would be helpful to share with um, everyone listening today? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about what's happening at a macro level and, and how I would frame it is we've accelerated 10 years into the future. And you know, what excites me is that uh, people are coming online for the first time that normally maybe wouldn't use the internet. Um, people are using the internet more than they normally would. They're opening themselves up to new uh, ways of living, right? Whether it's you know, uh, on-demand food delivery or grocery shopping or you know, social media or content creation, all of that is really having um, a watershed moment for the world. And so I think it, it's going to be very interesting to see what the second order effects are, right? Whether it's um, how, how students learn and, and how they scale that, 
Um, and and how and you know, along with all of this trust and safety is going to be paramount, right? Without trust and safety, the internet won't achieve its full fullest potential. It won't be the experience that we want it to be. And so I think for those in the industry, we, you know, our our mission and our job is more important than ever. I think we are building um, the foundational layer of what allows other uh, businesses to to thrive upon. And so I think for all of us, you know, keep up the good work. Let's, let's keep charging ahead. That's great. And, um, I mean, I don't know if we have the answers just yet. I won't hold you to this, but I think a lot of conversations I have, you know, personally amongst friends is just trying to guess how much of the changes we've experienced that that 10 year acceleration you talked about, um, how much of that will kind of remain, um, or be a consistent part of our lives moving forward. Do you have any ideas on any changes that you see um, that you think will stick around? Um, I know you had touched on maybe student and remote learning. Um, any other examples that come to mind? I mean, obviously the biggest one for a lot of us who are lucky to still have jobs and especially work in technology, uh, how, how we work is, I think, um, undergoing a grand experiment. I mean, who would have thought that, at least for me, how things would be so relatively seamless and and, uh, and, and it kind of just works. I mean, obviously there's things I miss about being in an office with people, but honestly, this is going much better than I expected um, in terms of everyone working from home. And I think this is going to open up new possibilities. And I think also, you know, just even little things I think about like houses are probably going to start being built with offices as like a default, right? Because that's going to be more of a demand and you're going to see kind of maybe some averaging out of cost of living in you know the metropolitan cities because people are going to leave and move to other places and you know what, what does that um do for commercial real estate and and, and this is just gonna, there's going to be a lot of second and third order effects that we haven't even yet grappled with but uh you know change is exciting too i think there's a lot of opportunity that comes out of this yeah absolutely i know um like my backgrounds in payments and when we were at square and we were trying to push contactless payments, we would always kind of talk about there's like a swipe, a dip and a tap. And we were always waiting to see like when people would start tapping, it sounds like kind of boring, but uh, it is one thing I do observe a lot more now. So just like seeing the manner in which people pay is like pretty, pretty cool to see just again, that technology adoption. And, you know, um, from a fraud fighter standpoint, I'm, I'm trying to think about, how we can better secure that, of course, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, SIF's one of its, you know, primary like raison d'etres is to help secure payments. Um, when you think about, again, the current landscape and fraud fighting specifically, um, are there um, pieces of advice you might have on stuff we could be doing better um, given, you know, where we're at now or just changes that might be a little more permanent? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the big theme that comes to mind is collaboration. I think that, you know, in my experience in this industry, there's this sense of unity, like we're all fighting a common evil. And it's really inspiring to me to see how um, people in this industry come together and set aside differences. And even competitors will uh, be willing to, you know, uh, collaborate to some degree. And so I think we need more of that because the nature of our work is asymmetrical, right? Fraudsters, hackers, you know, the bad guys only need to find one way in. And it's our job 
to protect against all possible possible avenues of attack and abuse. And so uh, the only way I think we can really scale and keep up with the, you know, rapid growth of the internet. And like I said, it's just, it's been accelerated because of COVID is by, you know, leveraging strength in numbers, right? And uh, this is both from a people standpoint, from a data standpoint, from a technology standpoint. I think there's a lot of learning we can do from each other so that we can stay one step ahead of the bad guys. That's great. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. Um, I find when sometimes when I try to share, um, like legal departments get involved, NDAs, you know, there's a lot of paperwork just to actually share and share alike. Um, do you think there's a way in which people can collaborate effectively that, you know, doesn't um, have so much redaction that it's not actually helpful? <laughs> I mean, obviously the shameless plug here is for SIFT. I think in some ways we help our customers collaborate indirectly and, uh, you know, not, not having to expose raw records to each other. Uh, I think we do a great job of being very careful, but I think long-term, you know, uh, something I think a lot about is this interesting, um, not maybe trade-off, but it's, it's a consideration of privacy and security. And I don't know if it has to be one or the other. I think the best technologies, the best innovation will be able to allow for both, right? So an interesting example here is, um, you know, a new field of, of research called homomorphic encryption. And homomorphic encryption allows for um, raw data to be transformed into some other um, obscure format or encrypted format. But the problem with a lot of encryption today is that you lose information um, in that process of encrypting and you are unable to uh, revert back to the way things were. With homomorphic encryption, you're able to run intense mathemat mathematical computations on that uh, encrypted data while still retaining um, the original in a secure way. And so, you know, things like that, I think are gonna be very interesting for the future of, not just what we do, but, you know, for the future of all technology. Yeah, I think that speaks to like a larger, um, like thought people have when you're just encrypting to begin with, like how strong is your encryption if you need to have some kind of like key or like backdoor in anyways, like does that ultimately like undermine the exercise to begin with? I know it's always the struggle on like how you might store or transmit um, share information like that. It's a larger topic of discussion that's over my pay grade. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also related to this is the concept of friction, right? And, and this is something we focus on a, a lot at SIFT, but we believe that there shouldn't exist a trade-off between uh, security and, and uh, the user experience. But right now, I think there's still a lot of opportunity to um, build a more dynamic system that can uh, figure out intelligently when should, you know, a step-up verification, like an SMS, you know, uh, code be sent and, and when should it not? I think often by default, it's really um, innocent or guilty until proven innocent. And really, I think the opportunity for us to shift to the opposite of innocent until proven guilty is going to be a massive win for all parties. Yeah. I... Win for all parties except fraudsters. Except fraudsters, yes, that's important. Um, I, I was going to say, 
Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction because um, I think there is a perception amongst fraud fighters that you're generally the person or persons taking punitive action, right? Um, you're usually introducing the friction, you know, for the sake of security, but not um, improving customer experience in any way. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is you could actually be a participant in that if you use the friction more thoughtfully. Yeah, and I think, you know, customers and users of these services are going to continue to gravitate towards user experiences that are easy, fast, and safe. And so I think more and more being able to deliver easy, fast, and safe user experiences is not nice to have. It's a must-have to stay competitive in this rapidly evolving and growing digital world. And so it, this idea of it's not trust or safety, but it's trust and safety. I think that's, that's what we believe in more than ever. And I think as things are continuing to accelerate, like we just discussed because of COVID, the, the importance, the strategic importance of trust and safety, I think will continue to uh, be more self-evident. All right, Jason. So kind of want to finish and wrap up with kind of a bigger question. You know, I think oftentimes people look to CEOs for their vision of things to come or, you know, how you're trying to direct your company. Um, when you think about the internet at large, SIFT, um, what do you see moving forward? Like what are part of your considerations and, and what are you trying to work on? Yeah, I mean, I think something I'm, I'm spending some of my time thinking about is this idea of the digital republic. And what I mean by that is, even though the internet's been around for now, maybe 30, 40 years, it still feels like it's day one. And we haven't figured out all the right rules and uh, norms and processes to govern our internet. Uh, the internet is this really crazy, awesome invention that eliminates the idea of geographical borders. But at the same time, we use the internet physically from our you know, phones and laptops in specific countries. And so how do you marry the legal consequences of that country with this idea of a almost wild west digital world? And are there ways that we should consider developing constitutions and principles to guide how the internet works uh, going forward? Um, and, you know, even something as simple as prosecution, right? If someone stole your identity in the real world, in, at least in America, there's avenues for um, going after them, legal consequences for that. But today on the internet, if someone steals my identity and they're in, you know, Europe or Asia, like it, there's zero consequence, right? Like, I can't even think about how to reach the police, the police probably wouldn't even care. Like the police only care if it's, you know, many millions of dollars at stake or something of national security importance. Yeah. So we haven't, I think, thought through yet as a world, as a, as a global world, what the internet should look like. Um, and, and I think this is gonna take a collaborative effort across governments and businesses and end users to figure out the right constitution and the right um, forms of governance. That's great. Yeah, to borrow your housing analogy, you know, even though we've 
become so accustomed to having the internet in our lives, maybe it's still the starter home as it were, and we need to find ways to develop that, improve it over time, or uh, add those offices in, I guess, <laughs> I think to, to, yeah. to borrow your phrasing. Yeah, I mean, we're, I think we're very much the, we, we are the founding fathers and mothers of the internet. As hard as that is to believe, because it's been around for what seems like so long, we think about the next, you know, dozens of generations, the next few hundred years, the decisions that we make or don't make about how the internet should work and who should have access to it and what are the consequences for doing something or not, um, that's going to have ripple effects. And I think you can draw that back to, you know, what's going on with today, Black Lives Matter, like we are seeing the consequences, ill-fated in some ways, uh, choices of, you know, history, right? The last 400 years of America uh, coming to, a, to its own reckoning. And so can we learn from history and avoid some of the same mistakes while uh, providing for the same opportunities in the digital world? Absolutely. Um, thank you, Jason. That was Super enlightening, um, interesting. I always appreciate getting to hear from you, but our listeners might not have as frequent contact. Um, if they wanted to get a hold of you, is there a good way to, to reach out to you? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Okay, all right, LinkedIn's the place. Well, I wanted to thank Jason again for being in this uh, return episode of Trust and Safety in Numbers. Um, a big thank you to our listeners as well. Um, I've talked with our director of content, Joe, and he assures me it will not be another year until the next episode. So stay tuned. Um, if you liked what you heard, you know, please give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, whatever you use, um, as long as you give us those five stars and thumbs up. Um, and for that, we'll see you on the next time soon of uh, Trust and Safety in Numbers. Thanks for listening to Trust and Safety in Numbers, presented by SIFT. Have a question for our trust and safety architects? Join us on LinkedIn Live every month to interact with our experts and get your burning questions answered. Until next time, stay vigilant, fraud fighters. <laughs>